Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Standing here with me are two of uh, the dearest people I know. Uh, Six years ago, more than six years ago, I met Roger and Jaleesa uh, here in Utah. They live here, and we became good friends. And I got to know their children. At that time, Sarah here was only three years of age. Now she is 27 and just beautiful. Uh, she's a very happy child, and she wants to say hi to somebody. Go ahead. Hi, Sam. Hi, Jake. Hi, Sam, and hi, Jake. Now, my dear friend Roger right here, he, uh, he lost Jaleesa about a year and a half ago. And uh, tragically and suddenly, and uh, he loves the Lord, and I love this man like my brother. He's also single now, and he's a little bit out there. <laughs> So just call us at HRT of that. <laughs> I love you, brother. Bye-bye. All right, we praise the true and living God for uh, allowing us to participate in this ministry. May he be with you and us tonight. Sundays, 10 and 2.30, we hold church. 10 a.m. is milk, 2.30 is meat. Join us. Go to www.campus.com for more information. There's hyphens between those letters. Uh, and you can find out stuff like directions and a little bit more information. Also on Sundays, Heart of the Matter replays on AM820, The Truth. Uh, So tune in there. It's a great Christian radio station here in Utah. Coming this Saturday, March 10th. This coming Saturday, we're holding our annual traveling open water baptisms. Last year, I don't know, the 20 or 30 people were baptized. Uh, And uh, where? We start at 9 a.m. in Logan. Uh, at the Alpine Church there, 12 p.m. in Riverdale at the Alpine Church there, 3 p.m. in Salt Lake City at, ch- at Church at Liberty Park. That's 3 p.m. there. And then 6 p.m. in Provo at the Provo Baptist Church with Pastor Neil there. Bring a towel, change of clothes, a desire to publicly uh, confess, commit your life to the Lord. Uh, all are welcome. Uh, there's no real way we do it. You show up, it, we pray, someone might talk a little bit, and we just, we just go in and do the baptisms, all right? Friday nights at 8 p.m. right here on TV 20. Tune in as Bishop Earl interviews people who were once LDS and are now born-again Christians. The name of the show is The X-Files. If you want to be interviewed, email Bishop Earl at www.xmormonfiles.com. TV, and uh, he will get in touch with you and go from there. 
This coming summer, we're going to try and reach out to any place in the nation that wants to hear the reasonable, provable, uh, distinguishing facts between Mormonism and biblical Christianity. Now grab a paper and pen, take note of when we're going to be in your part of the country, and then uh, if uh, God wills it, we'll see if we can set up a time when we can meet at your church or whatever it might be. So take a look. This is really a grassroots uh, campaign. Uh, we have a new book out, Mormonism A to Z, and our Aletheia ambassadors are uh, coming forward and saying they're going to help promote it. Uh, there's no other way. You just don't have the funding to do it any other uh, way. So if the Lord wills it and it opens up, we do it. And uh, so we plan on being in those areas. I think those areas will whittle down as we get responses, and uh, we'll let you know as that happens. I've been invited to be on Doris Hansen's program this week to talk about the new book, Mormonism uh, A to Z. Actually, it's called Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity, uh, an A to Z doctrinal comparative. Uh, Doris Hansen, Polygamy, What Love Is This? is this Thursday night, uh, live uh, right here on uh, uh, KTMW TV 20. If uh, you want to get uh, a copy of the new hardback, dust-covered, re-edited copy of that book, Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Berean Bookstores, and family Christian bookstores around the nation are carrying them. You can also pick one up at UTLM, uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, Standard Tanner, or by going online and ordering one from us directly at www.hotm.tv. We praise God for making this book available in so many places. Uh, it's an important time in the Mormon Christian debate. Even today is an important time. We're going to see what happens uh, relative to some Mormon issues in the national uh, uh, stage. So stay tuned. How about a moment from the Word? In John chapter 4, there's an account of Jesus healing a certain nobleman's son. Beginning at verse 47, the account reads like this in the King James. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. 
And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. We uh, know from the rest of Scripture that the, this nobleman's son was, in fact, healed by the Lord. What does this have to do with the Mormon-Christian debate? It relates to methods of healing. You see, men and their uh, religions, especially proprietary religions, like Mormonism, claim a priesthood uh, where they have established systems in place by which God must operate. He, he, he must and he does operate only within these established means. These systems or methods are often applied to things like how to pray. The LDS say that there's a, a, a formula for prayer. Uh, you open in the Heavenly Father's name, you thank him, you ask him, and you close in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the formula. You fill in the gaps with a language in the king's English, these, thou's, thine's, and, and that is the proper form of prayer, says, uh, that's the pro forma, the Mormon pro forma, so to speak, of prayer. Uh, they also say that baptism and their sacrament and other things like that, uh, there is a system or method that must be followed. Well, such it is in blessing or healing the sick where Jesus employed all kinds of deliveries for healings and was not about to be boxed in by one specific method or ritual, man-made religions love to resort to these uh, formulas, these applications to healings and saying prayers and the like. Years ago when I was uh, active LDS, our family was friends with another family where uh, the father was diagnosed with stage four uh, brain cancer and I decided I was kind of uh, on my way out and I decided, hey, you know, why don't we call all of the, the people in the church who are friends of this family and let's, let's gather around him at his home for prayer. And uh, prior to uh, the prayer being offered, the bishop of the ward attended and out loud he said to everybody there, um, uh, he's already had a priesthood blessing, so I'm really not sure what this is going to accomplish outside of that. That, that was literally what the bishop said. That was another, you know, uh, thing in my mind. Okay, something's really wrong here. He's already had the, a priesthood blessing. What will this prayer accomplish outside of that? You see, when a religion can simmer down all the nuance and in, uh, intricacies of, uh, of human beings reaching out to God, to a few rituals and to this uh, uh, certain methodology, then the Holy Spirit and the whole thing is kind of lost. It's, it's in the power of the method. It's in the power of their priesthood and, and things like that. So uh, here with a certain nobleman, Jesus simply tells him, hey, your son was healed. From a far distance, your son was healed. Others, he spit in the clay. Others, he touched. Others touched him. It was all kinds of methods to show, you're not going to box me up. Don't even try. It's going to come by your relying, your faith upon me. Uh, so... Uh, Let's go from there. How about a praise report? Last week we had a woman call the show. Her name was Karen and she was uh, desperate. And we talked to her and I know that people right here and there were praying. Well, this afternoon I got a call from Karen and uh, I talked to her and it seems that during the week she went to a Christian pastor who took the time to sit down and talk with her and he explained to her some of the things that she needed to see clearly. And by the end of that conversation, they shared in a prayer where uh, Karen uh, opened her heart and asked the Lord to, to take over. And Karen said it was a great meeting, she said. But the next day, she woke up and she said she was filled with a love that she has never believed 
could exist before. And she's talking in the terms now of this trust and reliance upon Jesus and Jesus alone, having lived her entire life with her LDS, a stalwart, faithful LDS husband and all of her children and all of this being LDS, she's the only one, but she said he reached in and changed her and she knew it that morning when she woke up. So we praise God and we thank you for all your prayers on behalf of Karen. Finally, last week, as I sat on an exercise bike at the gym here in Salt Lake, trying to fight the ever difficult battle of not competing with Jabba the Hutt, uh, I, uh, there was a woman there who was lifting weights, and some, she did something, and she dislocated her shoulder, and by the sound of her screams, she was in serious pain. And her screaming escalated as uh, another guy, I don't know who he was, endeavored to put this shoulder back into place, and uh, all around me, I could hear the comments of the local Relief Society ladies who gather there in the morning to talk like crazy and exercise a little. And so they were yammering away, and uh, all of them seemed to agree that in no way would any of them allow their shoulder to be put back in place unless they were knocked out completely. Um, in other words, they all wanted to be completely anesthetized so as to not feel one ounce of pain. And it was kind of the consensus among all of them. And after months of kind of watching and talking, taking uh, mental notes of these Relief Society gals, I realized hearing their thoughts on experiencing pain that they really work hard at living in a bubble. Um, it's a world of I want as little conflict as possible in my existence. A life where any and all emotional or spiritual upheaval is kept at a minimum. And if upheaval occurs, it must be dialed down as soon as possible so as not to impede upon their single track of reaching exaltation. Don't confuse me with anything, even the facts, they seem to say through this attitude. Let me live in my world of delusion, and you can live any way you want. Live and let live, but don't get in my face with anything that's going to upset me. <sighs> uh, so, listening to the women, I was so tempted to point out that while it is certainly painful to have a shoulder put back in place, and by the way, the guy did get her shoulder back in place, and she walked out without having to go to the hospital, and uh, she walked out not screaming anymore. It's also very painful to have truth about your religious practice, the life you lead, whatever it is brought to your face. And, and um, so, but it's well worth the adjustment. It's well worth it to have things put in their proper place. I mean, imagine if that woman just said, you know, I don't want to deal with this anymore. It's painful, but no one's going to put that back in. And so she walks around with a dislocated shoulder the rest of her life. And yet so many LDS people I meet, they want to walk, walk around with a dislocated uh, spiritual life. They think it's right on track, but they don't even want to examine it. Uh, experience told me, shut my mouth, it will fall on deaf ears because it's just too costly to these, to these women. Uh, and so they, like many of the LDS, remain willfully anesthetized. Aneth yeah, whatever. Uh, there's a reason Jesus, in reference to the lost, said this, and he quotes Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah, when he says, for the heart of this people is waxed gross. That means it's fat. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, 
and I should heal them just like Karen uh, this past week. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, uh, we need you, I need you. Open our eyes to more truth. And where we are in error, uh, let us know it and help us to see this is a short mortal probation, more short mortal time, and help us to put the most important priorities, you and our knowing you, first and foremost in our existence. Help those who are seeking tonight, Lord. Help the nation, help our audience, our volunteers, wherever they may be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Got to get a drink really quick. So we're just going to keep on adding on to the pile of difficulties a thinking person would discover if they opened up an original copy of the Book of Mormonian, including all we have mentioned in the past four programs. Let's add a few more on just for fun. The Book of Mormon mentions the following things we have yet to discuss in its imaginative uh, pages. Joseph included in Alma 129 the presence of silk, which takes silkworms. And um, we're talking about 600 B.C. on through to about 400 A.D. Okay, chariots? Where are all those wheels? Discarded wheels. A seven-day week in Messiah 13.18, which was not known among ancient uh, Americans. Scimitars, bellows, brass and iron, breastplates and copper, silver and gold and steel swords. All of these objects are uh, subject to extreme spin when LDS apologists attempt to explain their presence in the Book of Mormon narrative. But the thing I want to talk about most tonight is an object in the Book of Mormon that Joseph calls the Leahona. The Leahona. I tend to think of Joseph's Leahona no, no differently than I think of his fictional word for the planet closest to God, Kolob. Or when he was out in the wilderness once with a bunch of guys, they were digging and someone dug up some bones and he said, this is the great Nephi warrior Zelf. Zelf, Kolob, and Leahona to me all come from the same place. But when you're a member of the church and you hear these names enough, you start to think they're just normal. Oh, the Leahona, yeah, and the, and the uh, Adion Diamond, and uh, Mahanrai Moriankamer, and Kolob, and it's just like a second line, it's just like normal stuff. It's only when you step away from the group and really begin to think about it that embarrassment sets in. I mean, you really just step away long enough and you start saying those words and uh, it comes home to roost that you really weren't thinking too much then. Anyway, in the Book of Mormon, this object called the Leahona is introduced. Several LDS sources have also suggested that the Leahona was included in the stone box with the gold plates and the Urim and Thummim when Joseph Smith went to the Hill Cumorah near his home and also that the Leahona was in there. But uh, the church officials have never made that statement, so we don't know if it's just speculation. The Leahona first appears in the first book of the Book of Mormon called Nephi. And this is how Joseph says it shows up. Now listen closely. And it came to pass that the voice of the Lord spake unto my father by night and commanded him that on the morrow he should take his journey into the wilderness. So uh, from verse 9, we know that the first patriarch of the Book of Mormon, Lehi, was directed by God in a dream to take his group and go out and travel. This is the pretext of the arrival of the Leahona. Next verse, verse 10. And it came to pass as my father arose in the morning and went forth to the tent door, to his great astonishment, he beheld upon the ground a round ball of curious workmanship. And it was of fine brass. 
And within the bow were two spindles, and listen, the one pointed the way whither we should go in the wilderness. Now, remembering that Lehi was commanded to travel, and this Leahona pops up at his tent door from somewhere and pointed with uh, the arm of the spindle whether they should travel in the wilderness, what do you think that this Leahona was? It was a compass, right? Um, and the description that you read in the Book of Mormon, you'd think it's a magnetic compass. When I was a kid, that's what our scout leaders used to tell us. They used to say the Book of Mormon, Leahona, was a compass just like the ones we would use taking out on hikes. Now, my daughters, they went to um, Deseret Book. This is a Deseret Book bag today. And right across from Temple Square or the Billion Dollar City Creek uh, place, and they bought a, a packet, and it says uh, Liahona. And here, the Liahona on the side, it says spindle compass writing that changes. It literally says this, this is a child's toy. Spindle compass writing that changes, Liahona. And, 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 and so I, I got a little model for you. This is, they sell these things in Deseret Book, and this is the Liahona. And children take it, and they probably wander around their yards like, uh, you know, they probably play Lehi out in the backyard with an official-looking Liahona. Now, the church allows them to sell this. It says LDS Products. I don't think it's the church that does it. But here's what an actual Liahona looks like, uh, according to the description in the Book of Mormon. So I'll get back to that thing in a second. Now, in verse 16 of chapter 16, it gives more insights into the ball. That's all it was called at this point, ability. Uh, and it says in verse 16, And we did follow the directions of the ball, which led us in the more fertile parts of the wilderness. So this compass was more than just a director, more than just a compass of sorts, but it also would tell them where to go, where the best places were, where the most food was, where the great water was, things like that. It would give them, it wasn't just a compass. I mean, it gave them, told them where riches of the land were as they traveled. In other words, uh, it was somewhat magical in its abilities, leading people to locations of uh, material prosperity. Now take a minute and think. Where would Joseph Smith get the idea of an object that would lead people to material prosperity? Think about it in the history of Joseph Smith, what his activities were as a young man with his father out there on the farms looking into a hat and searching for prosperity. Now, the brass ball also possessed another magical capability. It would deliver message, messages that would somehow appear and disappear on it. And uh, this thing here, it literally has messages <laughs> when you look down in it. And it says little words, but you can't really tell what it is. But the message changes because it's one of those hologram things. And the way you angle it brings out a different message. One says, follow the prophet, it looks like. Trust in the prophet, it looks like it says. And, uh, and then there's other ones that kind of come up, but you can't really read them. And so that kind of parallels what the Book of Mormon says this thing does. Back in the same chapter of the Book of Mormon, Lehi's family experiences a period of time when they ran out of food. And Nephi's father, Lehi, starts complaining about not having food. Now, he's the patriarch, 
and he's saying we don't have any food and his uh, Nephi's brothers start complaining there's no food verse 26 and it came to pass that the voice of the Lord said unto him look upon the ball and upon the things which are written and it came to pass that my father beheld the things which were written upon the ball he did fear and tremble exceedingly and also my brethren and the sons of Ishmael and our wives so the power the ball had a power to have written words come up on it that God or somebody would tell them, you're really messing up here with your attitude. Straighten up, buddy. And they were exceedingly frightened when they would look upon that ball. After receiving a stern warning written on the ball somehow, Lehi's son Nephi. Now this is important. Nephi in the Book of Mormon, I would strongly suggest, is nothing but an autobiographical account of how Joseph Smith saw himself in the position of his own family, with Lehi being the father and him having older brothers. Nephi, when you write about Nephi in the Book of Mormon, the guy is written in such superfluous terms. He like walks on water. Nephi is such a great guy. So this is what it says happens with the ball after it gives the mean words to uh, Nephi's dad. Verse 28 and 29. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the pointers which were in the ball, that they did work according to the faith and diligence and heed which we did give unto them. And there was also written upon them a new writing, which was plain to be read, which did give us understanding concerning the ways of the Lord. And it was written and changed from time to time according to the faith and diligence which we gave to it. And thus we see that by small means, the Lord can bring about great things. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, did go forth up to the top of the mountain according to the directions which were given upon the ball. Um, it's at this point that the worthy and faithful Nephi, Joseph Smith in disguise, locates food for the family because he was faithful in believing in the directives of the magic ball. He was the one who made it work and his, while his father and his brothers doubted. When you look back into the history of Joseph Smith, who claimed to be a prophet and a seer with amazing skills at seeing things and leading people and compare it to his own father, who failed as a seer for a seeker for treasure and often because he was out of the way with wine, it says in church history, his father had a drinking problem. Uh, we detect the autobiographical side of these early chapters of Joseph Smith's Book of Mormon, but more on those themes later. Anyway, later on in the Book of Mormon narrative, uh, a Book of Mormon hero named Alma reveals the name of the brass ball and it's curious workmanship. And he says, and now my son, I have somewhat to say concerning this thing, which our fathers call a ball or director, uh, or our fathers called it Leahona, which is being interpreted a compass and the Lord prepared it. Okay. So this is, we're going to wrap it up with this critics of the book of Mormon charge that the description of the Leahona as a compass is totally anachronistic uh, because the magnetic compass did not exist and was not known 600 years before uh, Christ. Fairs, uh, which stands for Freaking Asinine Insights Regarding Scripture, uh, they have a defense. Uh, the, the Mormon apologist group of fairs, uh, they say that the term compass, the term compass, because listen, a magnetic compass did not exist, but it calls this thing a compass in the Book of Mormon. Fairs says the word compass means round. 
That's all it means. It means round. And so that is why it's called a compass in the Book of Mormon. Um, I swear, this is these geniuses' defense. I mean, the thing points in specific directions for people traveling or hunting for food. Uh, it, the Book of Mormon calls it a compass. But because it has been proven that compasses did not exist when this thing supposedly popped up at, at Lehi's tent door, fairs say that it was called a compass just because it was round. I'm not kidding you. They will come up with anything to defend this fraudulent faith. Uh, it's just idiocy. Fairs literally says this. In every case, it is clear that, at least in Jacobian English, the word compass was regularly treated as meaning either a round object or something which moved in a curved fashion. Jacobian English, what does that have to do with uh, a ball showing up 600 years before Christ? What, what, I, I don't even understand what you're talking about. What does that, that is just this non sequitur which throws everything to the wind and just makes you say it must be true because I don't understand what you're talking about. Uh, anyway. <sighs> This is the way they handle it. The Book of Mormon calls the Liahona a director, uses it in the sense of guiding people, calls it a compass, leads people to specific places. But since it couldn't have been a compass, like we understand compasses, fair idiots say it, wasn't, it was a compass because it was round. For uh, fair's people also say horses in the Book of Mormon really weren't horses. They were these animals called tapers, whatever those are. And uh, they say that steel, the word steel used in the Book of Mormon for the steel that they made swords out of, wasn't really steel, but was volcanic glass. And, uh, and uh, Fares also says that the Book of Mormon coins of silver and gold really weren't made of silver and gold. And so, you know, it's just, this is how they do it. Unbelievable. Looking back quickly at the Liahona, I think it's important also to examine other aspects of it, whether it was a compass or not. Uh, notice several things about how the Book of Mormon describes this Liahona. First and foremost, a, ball, a brass ball of curious workmanship shows up magically. All of a sudden, it, it magically appears. Secondly, the ball works to give mystical and magical directions to the person who possesses it, who has the ability and the faith to keep it working. By believing in it, that it will work, the, spa, the, the spindles on it, I don't know if you can see inside there, it spins and, and gives these directions. Then the thing points to places of prosperity. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fortune finding place, so to speak, because prosperity to them was food and, and water. And uh, it sounds like it possessed all the properties that a seer stone would possess to Joseph Smith and... Um, and then it had the ability to have written messages come across it. Emma Smith said when Joseph translated the Book of Mormon that he would look in the hat, and, uh, and Sidney Rigdon said this too, and written messages would come up before his eyes. It's the very same thing as what Joseph was claiming to translate the Book of Mormon by. So uh, as long as we've been on this program, we say the seed comes from the tree, the tree uh, bears the fruit, uh, the fruit uh, bears the seed, and on and on and on. Today, the Liahona continues to play a role in Mormon mindset and culture. Uh, I mean, we bought this in one of their stores today that they sell to children. Uh, additionally, the LDS publishes a magazine that goes out to all non-English speaking people who are LDS, and they call it the Liahona. 
And uh, here in Utah, there are private schools called Liahona. There's a missionary retail store called Liahona. There's even a children's foundation. And in Texas, there is a capital investment firm called Liahona Ventures. Uh, now, having been LDS 40 years, the magical, mythical nature behind this thing called Liahona is one thing, but having been a stockbroker 13 years, I had to look up the mindset of an investment company that would actually call itself Liahona Ventures. Uh, this is how the capital managers describe their company, and it's take, this is uh, how it is uh, punctuated and how it is said online about Liahona Ventures. You ready? Here at Liahona Ventures, we believe in doing well by doing good. We are dedicated to adding value to those we work with and making our community a better place. Beyond monetary contribution, we pledge time and resources to supporting youth opportunity, family advocacy, cultural arts, consumer education, and debt reduction. So, you know, uh, then they go under the title of what we do. Now, this is an investment company. Understand, and this is what they, this is their mission statement that sort of comes out, all right? And it's all about social uh, good and stuff. And so then it says, what we do, listen to this, and grammar is correct. We are a nimble boutique investment fund <laughs> that does not use portfolio theory or other commonplace approach to generate return on investment. Simply put, we make hands-on investments with principles we respect in the consumer space in areas that we have domain expertise. Since we invest our own money and are entrepreneurs, I bet you are, ourselves, the first thing you will notice is a strong deviation from the adversarial and undifferentiated approach of most investment funds. We prefer to get involved early, roll up our sleeves, and carry a capital-efficient business through to exit. Occasionally, for more capital-intensive opportunities, we fill the seed round and position our investment for institutional partnership with a larger fund. I know about two things in my life, professionally, so to speak. One is Mormonism, and the second one is investing. This does not surprise me at all that Utah, a state with the highest number of people who actually believe in magical, mythical tools like this, is also the state with the highest uh, per capita of financial scams in the nation. Uh, it was, this was also the driving force behind Joseph Smith using his own Liahona when he was out searching for treasure, translating this, supposedly translating this Book of Mormon, and then including something like it in the book that they call Scripture Better Than the Bible. Uh, it's such magical thinking that would drive an investment firm to call itself after a magical brass ball, I'm, I guess. Uh, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First-time callers. Listen, we only want LDS callers tonight. Uh, that's who we are taking because we have a lot of material from things that are going on. So if you're LDS, call, call, call. Anything you want to say, it's a free-for-all, fine. If you're not, please let the uh, phone lines be opened up to those who are trying to get through. We have Jim in Salt Lake City, line three. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jim, you need to turn your TV down. Hello. Jim, you're on the air. Hello. You're on the air. Oh, uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Is this uh, Sean? It is. 
Oh, okay. I had to turn my TV down. Yeah. Uh, are you wearing a, what is that, a baseball hat? Or I can't tell if that's a cantor, kind of a Jewish cap, or what is that? Uh, it is a Jewish baseball cap. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, is it a ball cap? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, I see now you turn sideways. It just seems, I mean, haven't they quit kind of doing that, turning ball caps around and wearing them? I mean, I who's mean, they? How, well, how long does that go on? I mean, Who, how long do we. Who's they? The kids. I don't know. I do it because my hair is bothering me today. I had a bad hair day, and I put it on because I didn't want to come on here and wash it. Okay. All well, right. Maybe we get that out of the way, Jim. Let's talk about something important, all right? Yeah. What? Uh, how many people did you cure when you were exercising your priesthood? Uh, what were you, a high priest or what? Well, they called me a high priest. I was never a high priest, but I was called a high priest. And but you, you laid your hands on people's heads, right? Yes, I did. Many times. And, and, and did you, do you think you healed anybody or just fooled them or what were you doing? Just messing around or what? I was fooling myself for one. And then I, but I do believe people can be healed when people lay hands on them and in the name of God ask that they would be healed. I believe God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. So I believe he would heal people who he wants to heal, whether it's from a Mormon's hand or, a, or a, someone who doesn't even sure God exists hand. Here's the thing. I never healed anybody. Okay, so you think, you think through, uh, you think some Mormons out there doing these rituals, whatever they're doing, may be he healing some people. Is that, is that true? No, I think God heals people. There's not a Mormon. Okay, there's not a all Mor right. But not a Mormon on earth who's ever healed anybody. Mormon. Go ahead. Go, no, I, I would just, I'm done. Okay, well, but you participated in rituals. Yes. That the end result was, do you believe some people got better through God or however you did it? They got better through God's will, not mine. Okay, as, when you were a Mormon. When I was a Mormon, yeah. Okay, so that's probably okay, huh? Well, you know, I, 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 like we were talking about Jesus not being boxed in. In, in, Mark chapter oh. not, in, in Mark chapter 9, the, the, his disciples said, hey, those guys over there, or that guy over there isn't part of us, and he's casting out devils, and Jesus said, leave him alone. Yeah. You, you know, so well, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. You know, uh, where, do you, where do you think all these Mormons are going to go? Is there heaven and hell, or in your, in your new paradigm, is there heaven and hell in another place, or where, where do all these Mormons go? Okay, first of all, let's really be honest with each other, Jim. On my screen, it says you're LDS. Are you LDS? Yes, sir. Okay, so why do you talk in terms to me, and where are all these Mormons going? Why don't you say, say to me, where are uh, the LDS going to go? I mean, why do you Where's have... Where does it matter? Where does it matter? It matters because it, in honest communication, if, you're, are if, you, you, if you respect... Now are, you, are you a specialist in interpersonal communication? No, or what? Are you I've, a, I've, been on, I've been on the show for six years answering live calls, and I know when someone has an honest heart and when they don't, usually. Sometimes I'm wrong. Well, but when, no, no, let's forget all about that. Let's just go back to the no, question. No, Jim, I'll get to your question. But well, I want to, well, I, no, no, Jim. Well, Jim, I, Jim, 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 this, let me finish my comment. This is important. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, thank By you. By the way, how much are those little bills? 
They're 18 bucks. So listen, Jim. Uh, that's, a little, that's a little pricey, but... Oh, but they're made in China. Uh, listen, Jim, uh, here's the thing. You have a tone, and your tone is, I'm going to work get you, mad. Sean. Don't get mad. I'm going to work you, Sean. That's your tone. And, oh. and I hear it. And so I'm just being honest, Jim, in front of the audience. Oh. I, I know I look dumb. Are you, are you angry? Oh, I'm very angry. I get angry at guys <laughs> like you. Are you, I like to punch are you, you in the face. Do you use any medication at all? Yeah, no. I, yeah, I use medication all the time, and I wish I had more in this cup while I'm talking to you. But listen, here's the point, yeah. Jim. Jim, hey, Jim, Jim don't put me on the defensive. You oh, are the one in error. That's right. I am honestly, Jim, here on TV trying to talk to people honestly. And you've come to me, and, you, and you're giving me the old uh, Mormon two-step. No point. You're giving me the uh, old Mormon two-step, Jim. That's what you're giving me. Mormon two-step. All these old I Mormons, where are they going to go? Wait, wait a minute. You're John, where, where are the old Mormons going to go? Where do you suspect me and all my ilk? All the Mormons are going to go when we die. Okay, do you, do you think I'm dumb? Do you think I think I know where all Mormons are going to go? I don't know where no. any Mormon's going to go. I have they absolutely no idea. What? Are they going to hell or heaven? Jim, this just shows you don't even understand what gets someone to heaven or hell. How can I know if somebody truly believes in Jesus as the I am, no matter who oh, they are? Oh, I see. Okay, so Mormons could go to heaven. Sure. Oh, okay. Oh, well, okay. Well, to, Gomer. Uh, Gandhi's, uh, Gandhi's grandson being here, right? Gandhi's grandson being here. What about Gandhi's grandson now, spin man? Gee, now you're, look how you're, you're yeah, calling look names me. and you're angry. I, I am, because you're, you're, you're a spinner. Uh, I know what you're about. So I'm just calling you. Relax. I'm calling you for what you are, Jim. And are I know, you, it right, it's here, not really politically correct. Wondered. It's not politically what, correct. Would you tell Jim? me what goes on in the temple? What goes on in there? Okay, wait, is tell this a rhetorical that? question or aren't you LDS? Will you tell me yourself? Will you expose what goes on in the temple? Can you tell me what goes on in there? We, we've done it many times. What do you want me to do that for? Well, I'm just wondering if you'll, if you'll tell me exactly what goes on in there. What is the purpose? Tell me the purpose you want me to do this on live television to tell you a Mormon. Have you, done, let, that? Let Have you done that before? Let, let me finish what goes on in the temple. Yes, I've done it before. Oh, you have? I have. Did you, did you, did you agree not to? Disclose that? Oh, I certainly did. Under penalty of death. And so why did you? Because it wasn't true. Well, what about the Masons? If you were a Mason and you joined them and you told everybody in the room you won't tell anybody and you went and told them, would you go tell everybody what goes on in there? If I found out that Masonry wasn't true and Masonry claimed to be Christianity and wasn't, yes. I'm not afraid. What if you were a, what if you were a beta, beta, theta, pi, and you were in there with a bunch of guys and uh, you looked at them all and you looked in their eye and you said, I'm not going to tell anybody what we're doing here. Okay. And you went and did, so you're not a trustworthy guy, oh, are no, you? Oh, no, no. I'm not trustworthy when it comes to men. Not at all. No, I don't give a rat's well, rear end. Rat's rear end. What men try to get me to do? None. Well, women, anybody. Uh, no, I don't care what men try to get me to do. Is, your, listen. is your word good? Can not you when keep it comes to word? men. No, not when it comes to men and their organizations. No, 
I, I am. Or, I, or, I, or, no, wait, Jim, 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 you've got and, a, Jim. Uh, and, I, and, Jim, you know, we're, and we're going to be hit by a position, Jim, and uh, you're not supposed to say anything. You're Jim, supposed to be quiet to the media. Jim, Will you go tell Jim, the media, or can we Jim, trust you? Are you a trustworthy Jim, guy? Jim, you done? Are you done with your filibuster? No, I'm just asking okay, if you're just a trustworthy shut guy. Shut up and let me talk, Jim. Shut up and let me talk. Now, see, now there's the now, anger. See, now you're going to go off. Oh, no, it's, 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 it's righteous anger. Jesus would probably tell you the same thing. Okay? Oh. So just listen, Jim. You are a deceitful guy. Have you guy. ever heard of clonazepam? Listen, Jim, you're a deceitful man. And you think you're an attorney, and you're going to spin it all up in words, and you think you're making a case here to prove you're believing. Are you things, on any, are you like on any anxiety medication? None yes at all. No. None at all. And if I was, what does that matter? Well, you're anxious. Well, I'm very anxious. I am anxious for doing things for the Lord, Jim. And you seem to be I, anxious about winning some kind of contest. I recommend here. some clonazepam. Okay, we're daily. done. All right, we're done. All right, I tried to give him every chance to come back and reasonably talk. He made the point, listen, you went into the temple, you promised not to reveal what they do in there, and I did under the threat of death, having my throat slit, having my bowels cut open. I, don't, I did those motions to show what I would go through if I revealed these secrets to anybody. And I found out that it was a lie. So I am not going to support my promise when you promise to a lie. The same thing about uh, a masonry. If I joined masonry and thought it was something that it proved to be not, I would reveal it. If I joined a fraternity, that's what he was speaking about, and the fraternity said we are Christian and this is a Christian ritual, and I believed it and I found out otherwise, I would break the fraternity. My word to man means nothing. I don't care what men think of me or any. I care what God thinks. That's why we do what we do. Jim, uh, call us again sometime. Let's go to Dave. Let's go to Bishop Jim. Bishop Jim, LDS, you're on the air. Hey, Jim. Hi, uh, Sean. Hey, yeah. turn down your TV, Bishop. Pardon me? You got to turn your TV down. I know. Uh, hold on. Gosh. Okay. Bishop Jim, do you remember me? Mm, no, but keep going. You called me. This is I talked to you a couple of years ago, and you called me one time. Uh, former bishop. That's, oh, okay, I remember. I remember now. Uh, you know, I've been watching you, and I, uh, I've emailed you a whole bunch of times. I don't know. It wasn't under that, but uh, I have a sincere question tonight, okay? Go for it. Uh, I, I have uh, come to believe that uh, what you say about uh, the church and the early history of the church is true. Uh, I'm still a member of the church. Uh, the, the struggle I'm having is I have uh, some grandchildren that are very active with their families in the church, and uh, and they just live a wonderful life. They uh, they're together. They have dinners together. They do everything together. And, you know, I went to your church a couple of times up there at the University of Utah, mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't see any children, and I'm not trying to hassle you in any no, way. it's okay. Please, please believe me this. It's okay. I didn't see any children, and, and I'm struggling with that, okay? Let's just, let's just assume that, the, that Joseph Smith is a phony, okay? Okay. And I can accept that. Uh, 
totally, and I respect what you're trying to do. Okay. But I'm struggling with the fact that I think my grandchildren really are being taught correct principles, the correct way of living, good values, loving families, and I'm having a struggle uh, defining the difference between the church as a good institution right. and the church as a divine creation through Joseph Smith. Okay. Am I making myself clear? You are. Let me answer you this way, uh, Jim. In terms of raising up a society of people who live their space of time here upon the earth well, I think Mormonism stands at the top of the heap in terms of this life. Yes. When, you, when you teach children not to drink and you teach them not to smoke and, and you use a little bit of guilt on that, and that sometimes works, it's necessary for kids, and you teach them good standards and cut their hair and all that stuff, they're very progressive and successful in this world. Right. And, and, and I have no problem with that in terms of the benefit of belonging to uh, an organization, whether it be religious or communal or societal. Uh, remember, now, the Third Reich, they, they raised up uh, very good youth, and they had very good morals, and Hitler hated drinking, and he hated burlesque. And so, and you can look at any societal group where, that uses law to keep people in conformity, and they can say this is for the good of the people, and you're going to find probably a better group of people than you would otherwise. Just remember the Berlin Wall. On the east side of the Berlin Wall, absolutely no graffiti. On the west side where there was freedom, there was graffiti and all kinds of stuff. East Berlin communist, west free. So there is a price to freedom. And the price is, is, is failure. But in terms of eternal life, I believe Mormons have their reward here. I believe they live for now, they live for the pocketbook, they live for the, for the uh, fame, they live for the community, they live for family, is almost as important to them as Jesus. And so they have their reward. My turn, my turn. All right. Okay, uh, okay, I accept all of that, okay? All right. And, and you're dealing from a, from a position of principle, okay? What, what, you're a very principled person, you're saying, this stuff that the LDS Church is, is projecting is not true, and that is wrong, okay? Mm -hmm. And right is just believing in Jesus, being born again, and doing this. Right. Okay? I have no problem with that, okay? I, I accept that. Okay. But I don't know about my children and my grandchildren here on this earth. They seem to be much better off in that LDS culture regardless of whether it's true or not, than someone in your group that I've been to, and I think the times I've been there, there was two or three children in the whole thing. Exactly. But yet these children are going to primary, they're learning about Jesus, they're learning honesty, they're learning love, they're learning family values, and I don't see that in your church. You're, you're not going to see programs in, what is church for, Jim? Is church form? Uh, is church for cultural reformation to have basketball no, it's teams? Teaching, it's for teaching good. No, 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 no. Wait. Now wait. Is it for teaching good, really? From the biblical perspective, <clears throat> what is church for? It's for the sinners. 
against salvation. It's for the sinners to learn, either receive salvation or learn how to grow in faith in Christ. If you have an institution that provides a people with everything that they rely on the institution instead of the one that we're to look to for our faith, that makes it dangerous, then you, you, you have a problem. And this is what Mormonism has done. It has stepped in as an intermediary. It has made life here good through their programs, but it does not teach what churches in the Bible are supposed to teach. And that is okay. solely I, about Jesus. I accept that. Okay? okay. I accept that. All right. I'm yeah, I'm not arguing with that. Okay. But where are the children in your... Oh, look at, don't use what we do as the model, my friend. You got to go to Calvary uh, Chapel, Salt Lake City. You've, you want to see children's programs. You got to go to any of these larger churches that have been around. Then maybe, then maybe that's what I should do. And I'm yeah. not arguing with you. I'm not trying to be. Okay, okay, I get it now. Listen, go to these other churches. Campus is a, is a, uh, is a nimble boutique church. Uh, <laughs> our purpose, Jim, is to help people transition in to the body from Mormonism to kind of get their grounding and mostly it's adults and then to come out. Now we do have a plan now uh, where we do have uh, uh, Kathy Maggie teaches the children and all of her stuff's about Jesus, but it, it's an, you know, it's not really, it's for older adult people and we do go heavy scripture. And so we haven't, we've often been around very long and we're not really into institutionalizing the thing. We're a halfway house for LDS to come and figure out what's happened and then to maybe segue into a family-oriented church. So I'm glad you kind of called to bring that up. Yeah, well, uh, my questions are sincere, and I'm not trying to ha uh, hassle you in any way. You're not. They're good questions, Jim. Calling, okay? All right, my, all right, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Okay, bye. Those are very good questions. I, I appreciate them, and, and by his tone, he was sin sincere. Let's go to Kurt in North Salt Lake City. Yeah. Kurt, you're on the air. Oh, hey. Um... No, we're kind of short on time. I was just calling. I had a couple of questions for you, but first I wanted to hit you with some constructive, constructive criticism, if that's okay. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I, I am a Mormon, and I'm kind of a half in, half out. I've been watching you for, I don't know, probably three years now. I, I enjoy the show a lot. And, um, you know, something that kind of bothers me is, um, and, you know, I, I understand it's for the show, and it has an entertaining value, but it... Um, you know, it's like when you when you kind of knock Mormonism um, using a a scientific like you like you stand on a, you want to stand on scientific ground and knock Mormonism and you know it seems funny because you know you you want to talk about archaeologists who make fun of or who disprove Mormonism but there are plenty of archaeologists which will disprove Christianity. I mean, no, there's not. Okay, you're, you're misinformed. There okay. is not plenty of archaeologists that disprove Christianity. In fact, every time archaeology tries, it has proven a failure. So uh, that is absolutely not correct. Now, you might be getting some of that stuff from the Internet where it seems like it, but, I mean, you talk to Joel, who's been a guest on here, who lives in Israel. Let me tell you something. Archaeology does nothing but support and endorse Christianity. These are apples to, to Mercedes-Benz in comparison. They really are. Okay, but, but I, I understand it. I, you know, that's fine. Um, I had a I had a question for you. Um, uh, two questions. I know I'm, I'm running a long time. It's all right. Um, what do you think, Joe Smith? Like, because I know that him and Brigham Young they all used alcohol and I think owned bars. I'm not sure, but 
why do you think he came up with the word of wisdom? If, uh, I mean, if you have a bar, why are you going to promote the word of wisdom if you're trying to sell alcohol? Post and uh, Kellogg and the health movement of the time, which predated Joseph Smith and his word of wisdom, were, uh, were in full gear and running around the nation. And all Joseph did, he was, a, he was a synthesizer of information from faiths and from wherever he could get it. And he just took what the common, uh, newest thought was on health. And that's when Post and Kellogg were doing their cereals like Grape Nuts and all the other stuff. And he just took their stuff. And it was, it was tied very much to religion at that time. Christianity really embraced the health, health movement. And so the abstinence from alcohol and the temperance movements and all these things were very much uh, growing and around the nation at that time. And Joseph received a revelation. And, uh, and I'm not saying that his thing on, the, uh, on those items was bad. I think those were fine, but they certainly weren't unique at all. Okay. okay. Um, do you have time for one more? Yeah. Um, I know you've taken a, a couple of different stances on, on the translation of the Book of Mormon, and I know... On, on one stance, he kind of came up with it with uh, some partners, you know, with, uh, what was that book, uh, Book of the Hebrews, or View of the Hebrews, is that it? Yeah, View of the Hebrews. Okay, so, so in, one, in, one, in one aspect, he, he kind of came up with it using that and, and pulled in information and kind of wrote it himself with help. And on the other hand, he wrote it with the Yermum, not the Yermum, but the Stone in the Hat. Yeah. And... I don't know if there's another one that, that is there. Which one do you think it was? Do you think he... Because I, you know, I have a heart... I don't know which one to think is more correct. I mean, I know that at best he was a prophet and at worst he was a crook. Maybe it was somewhere in between where he had some type of spiritual ability. And you, know, you hear about how he did the stone in the hat thing. And I, I, I personally believe, after everything I've read, uh, Kurt, that Joseph Smith... Uh, was a charlatan. I believe he had an outline in his hat. I believe he knew what he was going to say and he had plenty of years to work on it. I believe he had collaborators. I believe he was gifted. He was imaginative. I think he was a genius. And I think that he pulled all that together. And when you read the first edition of the Book of Mormon, you can also see how unschooled he was. You can see themes that existed from all sorts of places, just like Post and Kellogg. And he grabbed all that stuff together. He answered most of the problematic questions Christians were asking of the day in the Book of Mormon. And he perpetrated it out as a way to make money. That's my opinion. We have 15 seconds left, Kurt. Thank you for calling. Uh, remember, this Saturday, go to hotm.tv, and you can find out where we're having the open water baptisms. Pray to see if the Lord so leads you to participate. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.